This week on Hyperspace Broadcast, Peter and I switch places and nobody can tell us apart. We're so similar. Hey everyone, and welcome once again to Hyperspace Broadcast, a show where two real friends dig through Toonami's back catalog and try to determine what, if anything, is worth revisiting. I'm Michael Doak. I'm Peter Eby. And this week we're continuing our coverage of Turn A Gundam with episodes 11 through 25. Not a show that aired on Toonami. I don't care, because it's one of my favorite Gundam <laughs> shows. Do I. <laughs> and at this point, we needed a break from Toonami stuff that was just dreck. So we're yeah. watching something good. Um, we're just going to move right into the synopsis where we left off last time. Uh, the characters Kihel Haim and Queen Diana had switched places. Uh, and for the sake of this synopsis, because otherwise it's going to be incomprehensible, I'm just going to call them what their actual names are, uh, instead of confusing you by calling them who they're posing as. Just know they're dressed as each other, and they—they they really this this anime in Japan is actually called Freaky Friday, <laughs> two. Yeah, yeah, Freaky Friday Gundam. I think is uh, what you're going for there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's basically that kind of plot, but with much much higher stakes. Incidentally, because there's a war going on. And that war escalates when Noxus City, which is the capital of the nation of Inglesa, uh, gets attacked by Sergeant Corin Nander, who is a mobile suit pilot who was sent down to Earth. And no one really knows who sent him or why he's there, but he's uncooperative with the regular military and has a grudge against the Gundam in particular. So he destroys the city to draw out the Gundam. Uh, and Inglesa, the nation, basically falls apart at this point. Yeah, he's and he just comes off as pretty mentally unstable, like, right from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's some, like, really interesting, like, backstory lore things that you were telling me about that, which, which you know, maybe we can get to at some point in our coverage of this show. Yeah, it gets revealed eventually. It, it's He's an interesting character, because he comes in, and you just immediately know that he's trouble. And it's just, like, the way he's behaving, and everyone looks at him like, Oh God, no! How did he get here? <laughs> like anyone who knows his name, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every, everyone knows who he is, and is like that's a bad sign. You we can don't already want see Corin like, here. His absurd like skin tight outfit, which has like what looks like kind of a male symbol over his crotch. Yep. Yeah, yeah, pointing <laughs> directly up. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> so something, yeah. It's just like, oh, oh what? <laughs> okay, <laughs> this guy. Yeah, he he's an interesting character. So he destroys sure. this city. Uh, he has two henchmen named Bruno and Jacob who are just kind of like put upon, goony looking losers. Mm -hmm. uh, and <laughs> and basically, he he blows up the city. Gwyn Reinford, who is the leader of Inglesa, tries to flee and realizes that his money is now worthless because his nation is falling apart. Uh, he is officially the leader of a failed state. Uh, meanwhile, Ambassador Mirren is trying to convince Kihel, who again is posing as Queen Diana of the Moonrace, uh, to leave this area and just declare a fiefdom in this specific area the sunbelt zone which is in sort of like 
south like southern united states uh and sort of northern mexico area so the ship that she is on takes off during this chaos uh, the militia is attacking the ship also while corin is destroying the city also captain phil who is the leader of the military force of the moonrace returners is attacking the mountain cycle where the militia is uncovering more mobile suits and uh, other you know prehistory tech and this attack basically fails but loran is there in the turn a gundam and he falls into this big cavern and then he ends up fighting corin nander and uh, diana who is again posing as kihel convinces corin that she is actually diana which is to say <laughs> herself uh, yeah, because she knows he's very loyal to Diana. And then basically his mobile suit gets destroyed, but he survives the battle. So moving into kind of the meat of this arc, Sid, who was formerly Loren's boss at the Heim family mine and is now leading the militia's excavation efforts, has Loren and Diana check out an area called Kingsley Valley, which is this kind of canyon uh, mm -hmm. where they think there might be another, you know, potential excavation site. When they go there, they meet a guy named Will Game, who has <laughs> uncovered some kind of spacecraft by following the journals of his ancestor, who was also named Will Game. Uh, local legends say his ancestor fell in love with the queen from the moon, and so he's, like, obsessed with proving that that legend was actually true and that his ancestor wasn't just, you know making shit up yeah uh, he's accompanied by a woman named tetith hala who is kind of a femme fatale type uh who has a grudge against the moon race and diana in particular in fact when she first sees diana she attempts to kill her before lauren convinces her that uh diana is in fact somebody else who happens to look exactly like diana because that's basically yeah, right. the premise of this show <laughs> <laughs> just this show in a nuts in a nutshell is Tedith trying to kill Diana, but Lauren say no, it's Kehel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, when it is in fact Diana, because he doesn't know either at this point. So we find out that actually uh, Diana visited Earth about a hundred years ago on some kind of expedition, met and fell in love with Will Game's ancestor, who is again also named Will Game, confusingly, Will and looks oh. exactly like him also. <laughs> yeah so just more weird mistaken identity stuff uh but the previous will game like proposed to her and then left on a, a some kind of adventure to find a rare bird and never came back so she went back to the moon and she finds out that he died on that adventure so there, yeah. there's some flashbacks about that and she's sad because uh she was in love with him and now he's dead Tetith, meanwhile, convinces Will that basically the only way he's going to get into space is if he turns over the spaceship to the moon race, because they're the only ones who have the technical capa uh, capability of actually getting it airborne. So he reveals that he has uncovered a mobile suit himself, which is kind of like a GM type, if you're familiar with other Gundam series. Yeah. Uh, and he tries to go to the moon race. Lauren tries to stop him, but Harry Ord, captain of the Royal Guard, intervenes because he was in the area at the time. So Harry and Will and Teteth all go back to the moon race. Meanwhile, the Inglesa militia has been moving south and has joined up with the Luz Louisiana militia. It, you know, 
It's kind of Louisiana. like Louisiana, but yeah. spelled and said <laughs> differently. Uh, Lord Gwyn meets with his fiance, Lily Borgiarno, who is the princess of Louisiana. And we find out that the Louisiana militia has their own mobile suit troops who are basically uh, piloting Zaku 2s from Mobile Suit Gundam, which is nice because it, yeah, it's a classic that is design. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just fun to see Zaku's rolling around in this, you know, <laughs> pre-industrial world. Yeah. Uh, that squad is called the Suicide Squad, somewhat humorously. Uh, and their leader is Gavon Gooney, a guy with a ridiculous name who is kind of a charismatic <laughs> badass leader. Yeah, yeah. And so Sochi Haim uh, and the other militia pilots kind of start fighting alongside the Suicide Squad and getting to know each other. Kingsley Valley starts getting excavated, uh, and Gwyn tells Keith Leiji, who is a baker now and is making boffo bucks by selling bread to both sides of the war. I wish I had done that more alliteratively. Uh, (laughs) Gwyn tells Keith that essentially the militia will welcome Moonrace technicians who defect with open arms so that they can get the ship working and a lot of Moonrace people start defecting because clearly their government's kind of falling apart. Yeah. And then, so Will Game, when he's brought before the Moonrace, uh, he has to kind of convince them uh, to let him join. And they send him on this mission to attack the Kingsley Valley dig site with some other troops. And so he goes in in his like G- kind of GM cannon looking mobile suit and uh, just gets his ass destroyed um <laughs> he fights against the suicide squad and their troops and um i believe lauren is like rushing to like stop the stop the battle or stop him yeah, from fighting yeah and sochi is piloting the turn a for part of the battle again also yeah oh yeah that's right and uh diana also wants the battle to stop she doesn't want will to get hurt and they come upon his remains and it's just like a standing mobile suit with no head the upper part of the torso is missing uh, and the arms are gone because they all just got like shredded in this pretty epic battle with these uh, with these Zaku. Right. And ver- a very one sided battle, too, because the Suicide yeah. Squad know how to fight and pilot mobile suits at this point, And Will Game is clearly an amateur. So he just gets yeah, ruined right. by them. And uh, they, they like look in the cockpit and like, oh, surely he's fine. You can see his arms poking out of the cockpit. Oh, he's, he's great. He's great. And then they're like, oh, no. Like, yeah, no, there's those are just arms. <laughs> yeah, one of the more brutal lines of the show is Sochi yeah. saying, We should help him get out. I can see his arms, and Lauren replying, I think those are just arms now. <laughs> yeah, like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, it ends with like Diana realizing that you know she's lost both Will games in her life, and yeah, uh, and arguably this died. one is her fault. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that kind of character development with Diana through this block mm-hmm. of her coming to terms with her role in this conflict. Yeah, yeah, and her her guilt with a lot of this stuff and like taking responsibility. Like, oh, this happened because of me. Right. This also happened because of me. Even the old Will game leaving was probably because of her. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I could get her thinking that. Oh, okay, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's like taking. Uh, Having a guilty conscience. I can get that. You know, I got to say, 
I love this show, but I think it's kind of funny and a little stupid that the old world game was like, I'd love to marry you, but first I got to find this bird. <laughs> it seems like such a thing that explorers would do back, back yeah, in those true. kind of times. That's though. true. It does feel appropriate, but there's something kind of funny about it. I don't know. It's like, I got to find the bird of happiness. See ya. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll be back. I just want to see that spin-off show basically, the old will game yeah. trying to find a bird uh in pre 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 industrial revolution <laughs> America, yeah. I guess. So, yes, so now Tedith has been dropped off at the Soleil 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 Moonfry. Uh and she which is a dangerous place for her to be since she's so like into the idea of murdering Queen Diana. Um she happens to get in touch with the now leaderless Jacob and Bruno, the um, two disgruntled gruntles who uh, <laughs> formerly under the command of Corin Nander. I feel like gruntle is such a good word for them. Like, yeah, <laughs> I really love and those characters. Honestly. They're great because they're like they're like lazy. They're kind of like they start off looking like lazy pieces of shit and then they kind of like find meaning. By yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get there. Um, she convinces them because they apparently know her like really well. And, uh, she convinces them to attempt to assassinate Queen Diana, um, which no one, none of them realize is actually Kihel Haim, right. of course, posing as Diana. And, um, fortunately Lauren is able to intervene and manages to stop them. And Tedith just slips away if the attempt fails, because, you know, they basically like try to make it look like a mobile suit went nuts right was that the one where they're like oh this mobile suit's gone out of control i, I don't know if they even have an excuse like they just yeah. attack the soleil in their mobile suits and oh that's straight right. up yeah. point a gun into the bridge yeah 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 at the end of this diana realizing that kihel is in danger in her in her situation reveals her true identity to loran and Lauren kind of has a breakdown because he realizes the woman he's been growing closer with is actually the woman who he's kind of grown up worshiping as his queen. <laughs> so like, uh, and didn't realize it. So he understandably is like completely thrown for a loop. Um, meanwhile, Kihel posing as Diana, of course, learns that the issues, uh, the returners have been facing, uh, in terms of like assassination attempts and shit, like any the issues, the, uh, moon race have been facing right. maybe due to this guy named agrippa maintainer <laughs> yes. fucking gundam names gundam names are so universally silly and this show has agrippa... a lot of great ones but <laughs> agrippa Agri... maintainer yeah yeah so so agrippa uh, maintainer is like a moderate who's basically seized control of politics back on the moon in diana's absence and yeah has some kind of a drive to i mean basically is trying to start a coup like he wants more power and he's using the hardline militarists kind of to gain that power. And he's using like, he's also using like some pretty deceptive tactics or at least he has factions that use pretty like deceptive underhanded tactics, like trying to assassinate Queen Diana. Yeah. Right. Or um, deploying Corin Nander, a complete loose cannon yeah. who was in prison because they didn't know what else to do with him to right. and make they see, the war worse. They, they seem to have like some kind of like pro staying on the moon kind of vibes too. At least that's what uh Tedith has going for her. Yeah. Uh, it's I, kind I got the of, feeling of it. It's, it's kind of weird because it seems like the whatever coup faction is 
just kind of playing everybody for what they want specifically because yeah. on one hand they do seem to want to stay on the moon but like captain phil for example who's also clearly being influenced by them in some way wants to turn earth into basically a moon race colony like mm. so i mean they they just seem to be finding people's motivations and kind of prodding them in that direction to serve their own interests i, I yeah. think that's the that's what they're trying to do anyway well this leads right up into my zenith which is episode 18 kihel and diana and um so keep in mind, Lauren now knows that Diana is Kihel and Kihel is Diana, and they've swapped places. And because of this, they kind of they realize that like, you know, Diana realizes, hey, Kihel's an immense danger. People keep trying to assassinate her, and like this like kind of fun switcheroo game now has become has put her life in extreme danger. So we need to rush to the Salel and swap back. So a, a, a big portion of the episode is them like trying to get to the Salel during this big event where everyone is everyone's invited for like this big declaration that's going to be very important, including some uh, moon race or rather some Terran people like Lord Gwyn and uh, and Lily Borgiano are invited to under kind of heavy guard. Um, Loran and Diana rush in to try and convince Kihel to swap back and they like try to speak to her. And she's just like, oh, no, I don't have time to take any guess, you know, kind of. And so it's like that was really like shocking to me where it's like, oh, shit, she she's not switching back. Well, <laughs> like, in that's, fairness, that's, you, she it also was right just survived speech. an assassination attempt. Yeah, that's like true. it's not just that Kihel is like, no, thanks. It's that Harry and her guards are trying to rush her to safety because uh Teteth yeah. infiltrated and like tried to shoot her on the bridge That's true. essentially. Yeah. So th there are complicating factors. It's not really a decision that either of them has much control over at this point. Well, and also she is a she has plans for this major speech it turns out. Right. She goes out before, you know, before all the moon race brass and like everyone everyone there and you know the Terran representatives and she surprises everybody by instead of like instead of she surprises everybody by refusing to declare a fiefdom in the sunbelt zone right in this like kind of vacuum of power and instead decides on the less militaristic route of resuming no, no negotiations with the terrans which i thought was uh i thought it was a really interesting moment because it's like the episode kind of ends on that and it's like a big like uh I almost said a big like dropping the ball moment, which I don't think is a <laughs> no, not appropriate really. phrase at all. But she really dropped the ball on that one. Maybe to the military guys, because every yeah, right. like a lot of the moon race is like dismayed by this decision because it's like, especially the military breasts, was just like, well, no, what <laughs> we're supposed to expand. This is our time to like take shit over, right? And also, and, she didn't uh, clear this with anybody. Like through yeah, this whole right. time, Kihel's been kind of getting railroaded into declaring a fiefdom by her ambassador and by Captain yeah. Phil. So when she just says, "No, actually, we're not doing that," they're yeah, both a huge shock. upset by that. And also, this is one of my favorite moments where Harry Ord says to her, basically. Even Kihelheim wouldn't do something this stupid, indicating yeah. that he might have figured out that Diana is not, in fact, Diana. Yeah, right, and that they've switched. So, um, 
so that that was my favorite episode i just really like it because it's like got a very frenetic pace where they're like oh shit we've got to get there on time and then you've got ted slinking around the entire place trying to assassinate her and it's like it was one of those very exciting episodes where i was like something really terrible could happen in this episode right you know like yeah yeah (laughs) it almost does the sense yeah and there's a there's a great sense of danger in the episode Right. It's also an episode that features the militia performing yet another sneak attack. Uh, Yeah. And one of my favorites, because it involves them getting all of the Diana counter guards totally wasted on like 90% sake. And one of the recurring militia sergeant characters, Sergeant Yanni, I believe is his name. Uh, at one point says to one of the moon race guards as they're drinking, they're like, man, this is strong. He's like, even babies on earth drink this stuff. And yeah. it's just like <laughs> the, the, I love that idea. Right. Right. The idea of them being like, no babies drink 90% alcohol. Like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. You're swapping out someone's wine with like fucking rubbing alcohol? Bacardi, one, Bacardi <laughs> like, 151 or rubbing alcohol or something like that yeah, like yeah. hand it's sanitizer like, and like, then when they spit it out you just laugh at them <laughs> like such a fucking evil trick yeah it's a it's i i just think that's pretty funny like what a what yeah, a what a yeah. basis for a plan we'll get them all totally <laughs> wasted and then we'll attack them of course if we insult them they're gonna they're gonna be like oh yeah <laughs> yeah i can totally <laughs> drink this. Oh, i have tons of this to drink and it completely works <laughs> right uh so moving on uh one of the moonrace defectors is engineer horus who kind of becomes like the face of the moonrace engineers and basically they uncover another dark history relic which is a mobile fortress hovercraft that diana suggests be called the gallop which is of course a reference to mobile suit gundam specifically uh ramba rawl's base of operations which is yeah. the same design and called the same thing uh I thought that was a really Sochi... really neat that that came back by the way i love that like hover tank yeah yeah uh so lauren and sochi begin using the gallop as a base of operations and uh, really sochi just kind of declares that it's hers now although <laughs> yeah. i think technically lauren is in charge uh, also, Bruno and Jacob join the Gallops crew by sneaking aboard and basically just saying that they belong there. Yeah. <laughs> and they kind of fool everybody. It, uh, it just It's one of those lies where he just goes up to one guy and it's like, hey, uh, this other guy on your crew is really good friends with us and he gave us a job. And then you go to the other guy and go, hey, the other guy that I just spoke to, he's... <laughs> really good friends with us and wants wants you to give us a job yeah and right. everyone exactly. just believes them and it works fine because it doesn't really matter yeah i mean you know you, you walk in with confidence and you speak with confidence mm-hmm. and you can basically do whatever you want uh but yeah bruno and jacob join the crew and they're like pretty effective crew members actually like they, they they're quite cool at this role they're good at it uh, turns out all you needed to do was treat them with some respect, and they actually yeah, right. are like pretty effective people. Anyway, uh, this leads into my favorite episode, episode 19, Sochi's War. So Sochi has been uh, pretty eager for combat throughout this show because she wants revenge against the Moon Rays because they killed her father. And sort of one of the early points in her major character development, or I guess her character arc, is the point where she actually like sees someone else that she was fighting dead, uh, seeing Will Game's corpse. 
Yeah. Uh, but this is another major part of it because in this episode, she decides to engage a team of Wadams led by Edison Poe. And basically the turn a has had its head removed because in an earlier battle, it got a little damaged. So she goes out in her, uh, Kapool and it's kind of just her against three Wadams and she's not really skilled enough at this point to take them on effectively. Yeah, and she's and, hideously outmatched in a Wadam as it is. Or, yeah, or right, against Wadams. Right. right. So she's fighting and Lauren has to scramble to basically save her ass. Uh, and during this battle, one of the Gallop's turrets just explodes because ammunition detonates because they haven't fully figured out how to maintain it yet. And, you know, eventually Lauren drives off Poe and the rest. Uh, but at the end of the episode, you have this moment where Sochi kind of realizes, like, oh, those people are dead because I made a stupid decision to rush into combat for no reason. Yeah. And that's my fault. Uh, and honestly, Sochi is one of my favorite characters in the show, probably my favorite character. Mm -hmm. And this is just a good episode for Sochi character development. Like, it's one of the ones that really focuses on her, and she's kind of out of focus for a lot of this arc. Um, so I like this one. Yeah. It's nice to see her like realizing the cost of war and starting to act more mature about it as a result. So meanwhile, in the Moonrace command, Kihal is starting to realize that uh, the mood around her is shifting since she didn't declare a fiefdom, as we were saying, for kind of obvious reasons. Uh, yeah. But Harry Ord is still loyal, so she asks Harry Ord to find Kihel, uh, and Harry travels to the dig site of the spacecraft, which is now being called the Will Game in honor of its discoverer. He finds Diana there, but she refuses to go back with him, and then he has to defend the dig site from an attack by Poe, because he doesn't want the real Diana getting killed in a stupid attack. Yeah, right. And it's worth noting there that he done some pretty awesome oh clothes my God. for like his uh, plain clothes the, un undercover outfit. <laughs> the best outfit. Basically, his outfit is a pink button-up shirt with a sweater vest that is, what, yellow and black checked yeah. with red, like, chino pants and more casual sunglasses than his ridiculous <laughs> red bug-eye sunglasses, but still in the same basic shape. Yeah, right. Uh, it's just a real good look, honestly. And he flies around on this weird little hover chair that kind of looks like Orion's vehicle from uh, the New Gods comics. Like, <laughs> it's just a really goofy design. And I don't know. I, I love Harry Ord's wardrobe in general. Yeah, like, if I were yeah. ever to cosplay, it would be as Harry Ord in this costume specifically. Specifically. <laughs> That'd be great. Because I don't know, I love it. It's just so silly. Uh so Teteth surfaces again. Uh now she's working undercover at Keith's now booming bakery with her handler, who is a sinister man named Meme Midgard. And <laughs> Meme Midgard is great because his name is Meme Midgard, first of all. Yeah. Uh, but also like he's even just his design is very sinister looking, but he wears like a t-shirt with a cute little elephant drawing on it yeah 
That's a weird little detail like, that you pointed out. It's like, what? Okay, I never would have noticed that. It's just such a funny little thing. It's like, yeah. of all the characters, why is he the one in this cute elephant shirt? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so at this point, Tedith's backstory is revealed. Uh, apparently, she hates the moon race because her parents were Terrans who emigrated to the moon at some point and were treated like second-class citizens. So... She doesn't like the moon race because they treated her like garbage. And this is yeah. actually a theme that keeps kind of coming up is that the moon race consider the Terrans to be savage and even their own people who have lived on Earth, they consider to be getting corrupted by Earth's atmosphere or yeah. something like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, there's another group of moon race people that show up later uh, called the Ret team, and they are generally treated like garbage by the rest of the moon race forces because it's like you're just savage earthers now uh you're yeah they us. were like sent sent down a little early and yeah we'll get to them yeah right well well they're they're another like just box of ridiculous characters yeah, but anyway yeah. so uh Tedith tries to steal the turn a at memes order but Lauren tricks her when handing over the Gundam's weapons, and in the struggle, she is assassinated by Meme Midgard. Uh, so she's dead because she was working with treacherous people. <laughs> she's assassinated in a, one of the more ridiculous yeah. little moments I've ever seen, where in a struggle with with Lauren, Lauren attempts to throw her with a judo throw, uh, an over-the-shoulder throw, and as he throws her over the shoulder, a bullet whizzes past and hits her directly in the forehead. And then she's just like, and then he drops her and she's just instantly dead. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what happened? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And then Meme slips even... away with his hand in his coat. Yeah. Uh, pretty, pretty epic judo throw to throw someone into a bullet. But <laughs> right. And Meme is like the just a sharpshooter, apparently, yeah, because right. he managed to do that. But yeah, so Tetith is unfortunately dead. Um, Corin Nander also resurfaces. He's apparently yeah. lost his memory because he sees the Gundam and doesn't like flip out about it. Uh, now he's just kind of a wandering monk whittling things for children in villages that are ravaged by war, which is, I don't know, again, a, a character change I can get behind. Yeah. I like Corin as this gentle monk instead of as like a mentally disturbed soldier. Yeah, um, right. And you can still tell he's like a little unstable, but yeah, he's he's a, he's like a super nice guy. He's literally yeah, he's like very jolly. Is the and he's thing. also like eating like dropped grains of rice on the ground that people have left behind. Like it's like that he's living on nothing. Yeah, I mean like. he's a monk. He's a, he's a wandering right. monk. He he's just scavenging bread and stuff. Uh, again, it's a it's a cool character change. Um, yeah. So. Uh, also, during all of this, Gavan Guni has proposed to Sochi and is trying to kind of win her affection, um, which she, you know, she has been noticing that Lauren and her quote-unquote sister are getting a lot closer, so she's kind of starting to lean towards Gavan's proposal. Uh, there's an episode which isn't super important, but is kind of fun where Lily Borgiarno, who is jealous, jealous, <laughs> who is jealous of Diana and Gwyn's closeness, 
uh, tells Diana to go work at a field hospital to basically get her out of the way and kind of humiliate her. Of course, yeah. Diana, because she's like the best person ever, is like, yes, this is exactly what I needed to do. I need to be of service to people. So she goes and does it. And there's just this one scene where Lily is like spying on her as she's working with a pair of like theater glasses. And yeah. It just felt very Sailor Moon to oh, me yeah, for, for sure. in a way. Characters spying <laughs> on other characters, of course. <laughs> right, right, right. Especially for like fairly innocent reasons. Like, oh, we got to right. see how this turns out. It, yeah. it reminds I, me of, uh, yeah, there's that one episode where like Ray and. Uh, uh, yeah, we're raised on a mask, date. Whoever his name is, yeah, whatever yeah, his actual yeah. name is, are on a date, and yeah, Serena's following them with uh, Melvin, pretending to be on a date with him. <laughs> it's a great episode. Yeah, it's some good stuff. But the other notable thing about this episode is that uh, Lauren sees Queen Diana wading in the river, trying to wash an entire barrel of soiled sheets by herself. And, you know, freaks out because it's the queen doing this. So he uses the turn A Gundam as like a washing machine. <laughs> yeah. And the turn A Gundam gets used for all kinds of very just like normal stuff in this show. And it's one of the more endearing things about it, especially yeah. as the show goes on and you realize how unbelievably powerful the turn A is. <laughs> and yeah. uh how funny it is that it's like oh yeah they use that as just a bridge once <laughs> yeah yeah they use it to hang their clothes on for when it's drying you know or to <laughs> right. um and yeah in this case <laughs> i love that he he grabs the entire load of laundry shoves it it like rotates the hand so fast that he can like dig into the ground digs like a little reservoir and then adds a little soap and like spins the hand as fast as he can and it's like oh it actually makes like a really effective washing machine out of a river <laughs> right. like, i thought it was pretty clever how they did it so then here's where you start getting the ret team showing up which they're like descendants they're moon race fighters and they have like unique mobile suits well no they don't they have like yeah, flats. They have flats um the same which kind is... of mobile suit that uh everyone came down in that first episode yeah keith lauren and friend doll yeah. and they're descendants of like a long ago group of moon race settlers who like probably some dispatch of them who came down right. to earth i i think uh, the idea is that they're descendants of people who came with diana when she visited and met Will yeah. game yeah i right. think that's the idea and so that they the, left some and, people behind uh, yeah and because you know, there's like cryosleep shenanigans going on of course so like it, oh on the moon yeah so, of so, course, so diana can be over 100 years old yeah even though she's like actually whatever age she's supposed to be and so uh, these guys are these guys are a little wacky they kind of have like a hippie vibe to them uh <laughs> yes and like with like hippie kind of like tribal vibe to which i i really liked uh they they're led by this woman named get ready cancer kafka yep <laughs> and her second in command muran muran who oh yeah is totally hippie-ish and always fights without a shirt on yeah yeah these are like uh, like blonde <laughs> blonde hippies um they're pretty funny. I like you see like in some of the other mobile suits they fight with too. There's like one that's like piloted by like a kid and like some other guy, and it just seems like it's kind <laughs> yeah. of like this ragtag family, yeah, uh, yeah, of totally. descendants. And I really love that vibe of their group. 
even though like they can be kind of more brutal than the others in their tactics it turns out right because um, they're trying to prove that they're still loyal to the queen despite yeah having lived on earth for all this time basically. yeah they're facing a lot of discrimination from the moon race diana counter forces uh who won't even let them like into their encampment <laughs> yeah to resupply like, they're like we'll give yeah. you the supplies but stay out of our place basically yeah you guys are weird you know you howl at the moon and shit <laughs> right they've been do. corrupted they, like, by earth like again. yeah uh so they're introduced and there's like a couple episodes that featured them uh it also shows that the flat is capable of using this attack where it basically just vibrates very fast and somehow becomes impervious to damage as a result and can like yeah. you know make the ground erupt and stuff i don't know it's it yeah i'm not sure if there's any logic behind it but it looks pretty cool so who cares um Frandall, who was one of the three with keith and lauren that came down to earth two years before all of this uh who has been trying to act as a reporter during the war finds out that the Moonrace forces are raiding towns to steal supplies because their farms haven't been established yet and winter is approaching. Uh, and also that apparently, even though she is being paid to write articles and take photos about the war, the papers aren't actually publishing any of it. So she kind of has this despair that everything she's doing is for nothing. Yeah. Uh, she starts to form a kind of relationship with Joseph Yacht, who is... Uh, sid's like assistant and who is also a militia pilot and then there's this episode where she or the scene really where she meets up with keith and lauren again uh, after all this time and they all kind of argue about their stations in this war like yeah, she accuses right. keith of taking advantage of it because he's selling bread to both sides and he's like making a lot of money doing this yeah um Keith accuses Lauren of just being a tool of Gwyn uh, Reinford instead of actually acting on his own conscience. Yeah. It's a pretty good scene. Like, it's interesting to see these characters who were in such alignment before come back together after all this time and sort of have this, uh, I guess, disruption it, in their relationship. And you can see kind of all their points of view make sense. Like, I get why right. Fran Dahl is bringing it up about about Keith. Yeah, and, he's profiting you know, from the war while everyone else is failing. And she's seen both sides of it, you know. Like. Exactly. So uh, this all culminates with Phil launching a last-ditch attack on the Will game as it's preparing to launch for the first time, which forces everyone to kind of band together to defend it, even though Diana has sneaked off and is... Uh, trying to do something it's not really clear what she's doing yet exactly but she has snuck off and headed south with corin nander and the attack fails fortunately and the will game takes off but the important thing is that lauren realizes that keith was correct that he is basically just a tool for gwyn and more and more gwyn is seeming like maybe his heart isn't in the right place with all of this like yeah right he keeps he seems... saying that he wants to reopen negotiations but no progress has been made whatsoever on that front yeah uh, right and they're just recovering more and more weapons from this dark history period yeah he seems like much more interested in the new technology than he is in ending the war right right and so uh, the final thing is that Lily warns Gwyn that Lauren will turn on him eventually, and Gwyn is like, 
fine. Like, like let yeah. him, uh, I look forward and, to it. Right. <laughs> and like, Sochi okay, decides, uh, yeah. And, uh, and Sochi decides that she will in fact accept Kavan Guni's proposal. So they're going to get married. Yay. She's yeah, clearly wedding. settling. And <laughs> also, you know, we already know that doesn't end well. So yeah. Uh, let's get to the break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our thoughts on this block and then some other stuff. So yeah, get ready. Turn A Gundam will return in a moment. Hey, it's Michael here, just doing what I do now, which is apologizing for episode release delays. I'm sorry that it happened again. I'll, I'll try to get the next one out when it's supposed to come out, like what I'm about to say, uh, instead of the day after. Anyway, our opening and closing music is, as always, Vapor Diving. The music for the bumpers is Monkeys. Both of these tracks are by Anatech, that is A-N-I-T-E-K. You can find more of their music on SoundCloud. Rights were secured through Jamendo. Turn A Gundam Part 3 will release on March 24th. If you want to get in touch with us for whatever reason, you can DM us on Facebook.com slash HBPod and Twitter at HBPod, or you can email us at hyperspacebroadcastpod at gmail.com. And now, back to Turn A Gundam. All right, we're back. Peter, what do you think about this block? What do you think about this show so far? Uh, I'm really enjoying this show. Uh, and I have really enjoyed this block. It has like, it's slowed down a little bit, maybe like there's some more mm -hmm. kind of, um, little like stories about the war and like one-off stories from people's perspectives, which I really actually enjoyed, uh, like getting some of the, um, on the ground kind of perspective of mm -hmm. the, of the war hospital was really, was really pretty cool. And, there's this one episode where there's this this elderly woman who has a farm, you know, and she refuses to leave the farm, but there's going to be a battle there, uh, clearly. And so Lauren's trying to, like, convince her to evacuate, which um, I really enjoyed that episode. That was that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that one, too. It, it turns out that actually she is the grandmother of the baker's daughter who Keith has married. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so basically that's how Lauren and uh, Diana convince her to leave her farmland is like you have but, this family. But, yeah, and that and I like her rationale for staying too originally where she's like look like you you moon race people fucking fled and went to the moon while the for after you know the terrible war while my ancestors took what that used to be just like a field of fucking waste and dirt and like warfare you know like the ravages of war and turned it into this field after generations and generations turned it into a fertile field and like i'm not going to leave that behind for the moon race to come back and stomp mm -hmm. all over it like uh i thought that was a pretty cool argument you know yeah yeah and it's interesting because it is to some extent 
an argument about family and legacy, which is also yeah. how they convince her to leave. Is, yeah, well, right. You have this family and legacy still ongoing, and you don't have to stay here. Like, it can change. Um, also, that episode's fun because uh, that's basically the first time we see Bruno and Jacob after they... Uh, fail to assassinate Kihel, and <laughs> yeah. they're just like working on this farm for this woman because she's a hard oh, yeah. ass and they tried <laughs> to steal from her and somehow their supervisor is a donkey that she owns <laughs> yeah it's a fucking hilarious donkey who keeps laughing at the camera yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> it's a completely goofy thing yeah but i kind of love it like yeah yeah uh, again those characters are pretty fun there's some things i've noticed and were like a minor pet peeve on some of this some of the aspects of this show which is the show tends to do like have a lot of like little conflicts happen and uh like uh, little like mobile suit conflicts happen and then they will just end you know i don't feel like it has sometimes i feel like they don't have uh kind of a falling action so much as like uh i don't know it's it's hard to explain but sometimes i feel like the endings of some of these fights seem open-ended and then they just go to the next scene where everyone's doing something else and i'm like wait wait what no but yeah there there are some abrupt ends to combat in yeah. particular um but it's to not be all fair, the time. also like i think part of that is because both sides in this war have a pretty limited amount of resources yeah like i think i feel like diana counter has during this entire thing had like five wadoms and that's about it yeah right uh that they keep redeploying and same with the militia yeah like, it's they not don't like have an, a, it's an army it's, of mobile suits yeah it's not a it's not gundam wing where they have like hundreds upon hundreds yeah. as as much as many leos as there is time you can repeat the stock footage of them exploding <laughs> yeah you know? infinite leos to In be every combat scenario. slaughtered yeah <laughs> and yeah, this one right. it's like yeah we have five mobile suits yeah or, or infinite zakus to be slaughtered yeah. endlessly like yeah right like usually when a when a mobile suit is destroyed someone dies in this show which is yeah well, i guess that's always true but in this show it's it's more significant because it's clear like you kind of know who all the pilots are at some point yeah yeah definitely so i can understand that yeah so yeah i i like this show a lot obviously i mean i'm the one who i'm the reason we're watching it and just in general, rewatching it has been a really satisfying experience because I kind of forgot specifically the things I liked about it. I will say that our summaries are probably a little scatterbrained, which I apologize for. Like, this show has a lot of stuff that is confusing if you try to explain it to somebody, but the show yeah. does a very good job of making it clear who the players are and what, like the situation is yeah right don't don't you know? let our uh scatterbrained summaries kind of turn you off from the show like they they yeah, introduce right. things in such a way that it's like oh no yeah you you pick up on it and you keep with it most of the right. time and i mean like there were a couple times where i was like now wait a minute what exactly happened there <laughs> in fairness <laughs> right right and i have seen it before so i already know so it's yeah. you know I don't have that confusion ever, really. But but I was also but, taking notes, and we're watching this with subtitles. So it's like yeah, sometimes right. it's like, oh, fuck, I missed no a dub. subtitle. Yeah. <laughs> and we have yeah. it synced up, so I can't reverse it. Yeah, right, right. I really wish this would go on Gundam Info at some point, by That'd the way. That'd be great, like, yeah. I would, I would love for, or a dub, really. Like, I don't know. If, it's not necessary, obviously. But 
I think that this show is an excellent Gundam show. Again, yeah, rewatching it, it, I am realizing more and more that it is my favorite of the franchise. And yeah. like, it's sad because I feel like there are just a few barriers to entry for potential fans. Like, I think a lot of Gundam fans would like this show a lot if they watched it, but there is no dub at all. Like, it's hard to get a hold of, and there is, you know, the the weird mobile suit designs that some people don't like. So it's like, yeah. I could see why people would bounce off of it, but uh, I don't know, give it a chance, I guess. Yeah, right. Um, Because it really is excellent. And one of my favorite things about it specifically is just that, like, every character goes through really significant changes over the course of the show. Like, every character has an arc, and yeah. the show has a huge cast. Uh, and because the battles are usually resolved without a lot of casualties, the cast sticks around even on the enemy side instead of like Zeta Gundam, for example, where they'll introduce a character. She'll be in like two episodes and then get killed so that Jared or whoever can be sad. Um, and you could be like, oh, man, war is so bad because people die. I yeah, didn't know right. that already. Um, <laughs> I'm shit talking Zeta Gundam, yeah. which is sad because I really like Zeta <laughs> Gundam actually, say. but like, but compared to the show, it just feels so like bleak. Um, yeah. And, and what's cool about this is that, yeah, again, the, the characters all go through significant change, whether it's Sochi going from like kind of a brat teenager to this, uh, revenge seeking warrior to someone who's more compassionate and mature and like willing to you know be a better person yeah or bruno and jacob going from kind of loser underlings to sort of effective allies or even corin becoming a monk like it's all just character arcs that i think are really interesting that's true i, I will say uh, i found um like i mentioned before i thought i i thought um Tedith's death was a little like abrupt too i didn't expect the character to be taken out of the show this early yeah and um there's also like one of those things where it's like they introduce backstory stuff for her and then immediately she dies <laughs> and i was like oh wait okay like did i i like part of me in my brain was like like oh they're introducing more about her backstory than ever before in any of the other episodes we've seen Maybe she dies in this episode, and then she dies. And I was like, Aw. "Yeah, <laughs> damn it." <laughs> yeah, I I think Tedith gets done the dirtiest out of anyone in this show. Like, I think yeah. that what one of my major complaints about this arc in general is, considering that basically everybody else gets some kind of redemption and some kind of major character growth, Tedith kind of doesn't, and it feels a little shitty that the femme fatale character is the one who just gets manipulated and killed and like she had good reason for doing what she was doing she yeah. was considered a second class citizen by the moon rays she was treated like garbage she has reason to hate them but she doesn't get to have the growth of realizing that maybe she shouldn't like sochi does for example yeah um and i think that's kind of disappointing because like i actually think tedeth is a pretty interesting character but she just kind of gets killed. And I don't know. But the, again, 
Like, she gets more than a lot of characters in, say, Zeta Gundam, or certainly Victory Gundam, uh, are allowed to have. But for this show, it feels like not very much compared to other characters. Yeah. And considering how much I like the, the like the character growth and specifically just the growth of the relationships between the characters, it's a shame that she is only ever really an adversary and assassin for the most part. Yeah. Uh, except I, I, when I, she was fooling people, that is. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like I wanted to see kind of where she would go from there if she was like going to stick with her mission because she had she had failed an assassination attempt. So it's like she was wanted, it seemed, and was in hiding. And I was curious, like where she would go from there if she would try again to assassinate the queen or how that would turn out. And she just gets kind of involved with this weird plot and of stealing the Gundam, which Makes sense. Uh, she's, she explains, you know, well, getting a hold of this Gundam will do much more for my faction than, you know, <laughs> than killing right, Diana right. ever would. I've, I've now have the most powerful fucking th- She, in fact, explains what that it's a turn A Gundam to yeah, uh, yeah, Lauren. for the first time. Yeah. And this is where the, the idea of the Gundam as the enemy of space immigrants throughout history and throughout yeah. the dark history starts to get brought up. Yeah, uh, like she is the one that brings that up. It, yeah, that is it's um that is how it is known in legend, which is a pretty shitty reputation to have. <laughs> right. Yeah. As uh Lauren reacts to as well. The um Yeah, and then she just gets kind of taken out. And it was like I, I you know, I get it, and it's like I get that the uh her faction is ruthless, but I would have liked to see maybe at least another episode with her, maybe a mm-hmm. a more of a interesting or dramatic way to go out than uh, taking a bullet during yeah, a martial arts move <laughs> i mean in fairness i'd say that's fairly dramatic but it was yeah, dramatic yeah yeah but it was just like very sudden and, and it, uh, it, it's yeah. very strange too it, it feels a little silly which kind of sucks for a like yeah. major character death um the other thing is like will game also dies but he is honored by naming the ship after him so even though he dies his presence is felt throughout the rest of the series because they're traveling around in a ship that he found that's named after him so the characters have to reckon with his death they don't have to reckon with tedith's death that much from what i recall uh but i don't know maybe i'm wrong they probably bring her up at least once more over the rest of the show but it's not quite as uh present i suppose yeah i thought she was gonna be like a major character in like the ending and shit like she she seemed to have that vibe to me um right i was getting sick of hearing will games name said over and over again though <laughs> i mean it's a silly name i don't know yeah well and there's two characters a silly name for two characters in the same show <laughs> right right so by the time he died and they're like will game will game Will right. game? Are you there? Will game? And I was just like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, the other thing is, I don't think I mentioned this last time, but this is the last Gundam show that was traditionally animated, which is to say, oh, yeah. that was done with cells hand drawn. Yeah. Um. The the show that followed this switch to computer animation. So uh, that's worth noting. Like this is the end of an era, very much so, and it's appropriate to bookend it with the creator of the original show, I would say. Uh, yeah. But also, the animation in the show is fucking great. Yeah, and it's really good. It's 
like it just doesn't cut corners for the there's like one shot i can think of that kind of cuts corners and that's it over the 25 plus episodes that we've watched so far um compared to a lot of other anime in general and gundam shows in particular which tend to use stock footage a lot and i mean even like not gundam wing style stock footage but just mobile suits launching is a constantly reused thing in shows yeah and the show does not have anything like that it's just extremely well animated really well choreographed action also like the fights are really epic and feel like i mean real is a silly thing to say but yes right yeah, it's not just they slash an enemy and the enemy explodes. It's like right, when right. they slash an enemy with a beam saber, the parts that got slashed off will go somewhere. They fly into the ground and smash, you know. It, when they run into or get in close combat, it's like awkward, you know, and there's body parts slamming into each other. It's got it's got like a kind of visceral feeling to the combat like that, like where it's like... Yeah, yeah, there's a physicality... Yeah, yeah physical. Exactly. That's the thing. And and, and, and a, like the weight thing I think is important too because yeah. again, a lot of other Gundam shows feel kind of weightless. And just uh, Mecha in general, I yeah, think a lot yeah. is very fluid and kind of like like I think of the first Transformers movie, like none of those Transformers oh God, feel yeah. like they weigh as much as they should given that they're giant robots. And no. I think that could that same criticism can be extended to a lot of Mecha shows, but this show does a very good job of making these things feel like huge building size robots smashing into each other. Yeah. Yep. Like it's not a game. I, I keep shitting on Zeta Gundam, which is silly. I should shit on something else. Uh, it's, it's not victory Gundam where they're, yeah. where they're just zipping around shooting beams at each other. And that's every fight. Yeah. It's like right. they're, they're close and they're on dirt, which is shifting under their feet because they're yeah. driving huge building size mechs like it's it's almost a pacific rim one level of physicality which (laughs) is really cool because i just i don't think you see that enough and the show does a good job of it um i i will say that this block of episodes is kind of unfortunate because it sits between i think two of the best episodes of the show uh those being the episode 10 uh which we covered last time obviously where kihel and diana switch yeah, and then Diana has to mourn for Kihel, uh, basically, and then an episode that we're going to talk about next time, which is a very significant turning point for the show. So it, it, it's still a good block, and there's still a lot of good character interaction and stuff. But I do feel like it's a little unfortunate, and that it misses out on two of the show's best episodes. Yeah, but. Right. You know, we'll talk about that next time. There's also uh, a wacky recap episode that's uh, yeah, it's thrown weird. in there too, which is a little odd, uh, just because it's like it's it has it reminds me of like it's got like VHS style CG for like these little character yeah. profiles and things that appear. It, it feels like a DVD extra from like the first set of DVD films that yeah. were put to print. Yeah, for it's sure. like here you can scroll through these still images of characters and there's a little profile <laughs> like that's basically what yeah. it is. And it's just pretty lame. I don't know why we decided to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> like we started and I was like, this is a recap episode. We could probably skip this. And we're like, no, I don't know. Let's keep going. And it's yeah. just like 
I, okay, I kind of like worth it. I kind of like that they didn't even bother to make it like canon in the story that they're looking back, which any other recap episode will do. That's and this true. one they're just like fuck it. I don't know. It's a DVD <laughs> yeah, extra I mean, here. It's <laughs> you don't it's care. superior it's superior to uh the Gundam Wing method where Hero Yui will give a long droning fucking impossible to follow speech about the events of the show that have happened so far and then it cuts and you see that he's in a classroom giving like a presentation you're like why is this class giving presentations about the war that's going on right now like (laughs) yeah why is hero giving a big speech in front of a class it's just not even like him yeah Yeah, it seems like he wouldn't go that far. He would just go up and, like, stare at his cue cards and read them off and leave. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I I agree that it's nice that it's not a canon recap episode. It's just like, okay, here's here's a recap. We'll throw it in there. Um, So, yeah, uh, overall, great show still. Like, I have some complaints, but for the most part, I think that they are imperfections uh, in an otherwise excellent product. Or now, show product feels so <laughs> capitalistic. Excellent oh. content product. Yes, an excellent piece of content for me to browse through and not take any emotional weight from, which is total yeah. bullshit because I've been on the verge of tears or just openly cried watching this episode several times now. <laughs> like this episode? No, I mean this show. Dear. Are you talking about the recap episode? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was so. Oh man, it was so bad. It brought me to tears. So touching. Uh, <laughs> Oh, Lauren is 15. <laughs> I forgot. And he, he was born on the moon. The and um, his skills are mastery of martial arts. What? I'm uh, just thinking of a dumbass YouTube conversation I saw years ago where people were arguing whether Batman could be conceivably beaten by the character Deathstroke because batman's stats are that he's a master martial artist and deathstroke is merely an expert martial artist (laughs) therefore deathstroke can never beat batman which is like awesome i don't know why i was reading that conversation but i did and i'll never forget it because it was so stupid that's the best kind of nerd argument where it's just like (laughs) yeah like all so dumb (laughs) well just the idea that it's like no objectively these fictional characters wouldn't be able to beat this fictional character because he's better and i have the stats to prove it that was the thing the guy kept saying these are batman's stats and he was saying (laughs) it like it was such a definitive thing instead of a bunch of made-up nonsense to tell stories yeah (laughs) i always thought that was funny Anyway, well, I guess so, that brings us to our next segment, which is an announcement. Yeah, right. So technically, we're supposed to have the bet here. Uh, we realized that we didn't do that. And also, I mean, just to rip the bandaid off, we're going to be ending the podcast um, after yeah. we're done covering turn A. Like, I think turn A is a good show to go out on it itself serves as a nice bookend for the podcast given that gundam wing was the first show that we covered yeah but i mean i i don't want to speak for you but i have been honestly having a pretty difficult time lately um, yeah Same. and it's... it has been hard to find time for this and it is feeling like an obligation that i don't enjoy anymore to yeah be yeah and you have been putting in a major share of the work pretty much all of it beyond you know the words that i say on the podcast when they happen (laughs) Uh, so that's a pretty understandable 
um, yeah, we decided to kind of close things out for now. And, you know, maybe this could be considered a hiatus between this and a new form of hyperspace broadcast. We're kind of discussing new projects and like, I don't necessarily want to abandon the idea of covering Toonami stuff or nostalgic kind of stuff. Um, but you know, if, if when it comes back, it's going to be pretty different in terms of its structure uh, done in kind of a way that makes more sense (laughs) for everybody involved. (laughs) Well, yes. Um, I mean, there's that. And then just like, you know, we could just radically change the structure of the podcast midway through a show, but that feels kind of weird. And at this yeah. point, there's so much in- inertia behind how we've been doing things that I feel like it makes more sense to have a clean break and start something fresh uh, yeah. with a slightly more maybe reasonable format that isn't like an hour of summary before five minutes of discussion <laughs> yeah right that's that's when things get dicey especially like the longer series too where it's like okay we're covering we're splitting these series into like so many bits and we're just covering the same thing and we're basically just repeating our same opinion over and over again for many of these shows it's right like, dragon some, ball z is a good example of that yeah yeah right where it's like how many times do we say i don't know man throw throws hands up in the air uh <laughs> it's, it's people yeah. flying around with big muscles shooting each other lasers sometimes yeah, throw- drama's fun and most of the time it's really annoying yeah throwing hands up in air jack rebney <laughs> winnebago man style yeah 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 it's like i don't know fuck it <laughs> i'm tired of watching this dragon ball shit it's not so, fun uh there's no conspiracy by the way the we're still friends <laughs> it's not one of those <laughs> conspiracy. things conspiracy yeah yeah, yeah. Well, me, well remember, Midgard remember has ordered uh, me to murder peter yeah yeah when <laughs> Well, I just remembered a couple episodes back. You you were like, "Oh yeah, right." <laughs> you said two friends because we're not real friends anymore. And the yeah, opener, right. and they just never gave an that. explanation. We we're just like, uh, "Okay," <laughs> like just we made both a really just kinda... awkward, weird, <laughs> bad, mean joke. And Which now we're like, also we're done with this. Yeah, also we're done with the podcast. It's like, oh shit, dope. No, hates yeah. Peter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Doke hated bullies. Peter, yeah, yeah. biggest bully there is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, Doke, no. Doke, of Doke sent not. me on a sled and then cut my head off as, <laughs> as I flew by him. Yeah, no, no, no. Obviously, we're still good friends, uh, and we do intend to do some kind of project together after this. Yeah, it's just like for sure. this specific thing, I think, has kind of run its course. And to be honest, I feel like it ran its course a little while ago. Uh, so I think it makes more sense to just do a clean break, finish off on a show that we're both enjoying quite a bit. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know. So no hard feelings. Keep you all posted on this feed too, you know, uh, for whatever we end up doing in the future. Like, I mean, at the very least being like, if we're going to do a new podcast or we're going to do streaming or something, we got all sorts of ideas. Yeah. 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 You know, so we can give links into that on something on that will show up on this stream. We'll at least link to that. If not, just continue directly off of this stream. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure that out, but I, I hope that by the time that we're finishing up Turn A Gundam, we'll have a bit more of a solid idea of what we're going to do going yeah. forward settled. But right now we're still discussing it. But we wanted to make sure that you're aware. So it's not just like, and this is the last episode. See yeah. Because uh, that's never fun. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I guess. So, yeah. You can look forward to the next episode of Turn A Gundam uh, part three in two weeks. 
Yeah. Uh, we so we do intend on wrapping the show up as usual. Um we didn't really bother with the bet. <laughs> the bet. No, I mean it's last... irrelevant at this point. The bet yeah. is used to determine the next show and we're not doing a next show. So Yeah, right. And you know, also um we kind of forgot about the bet halfway through this block <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> we, like I mean, stop tracking how many times that lauren slips and falls on his ass because the show is compelling and yeah right when you're watching a compelling show for the most part it's a little difficult to remember like oh i have to be keeping track of this arbitrary thing that doesn't yeah, matter yeah. for almost no purpose <laughs> yeah um <laughs> so yeah no no bet just going forward we're gonna just talk about the show and talk about our thoughts but yeah we'll be resuming that in two weeks with turn a gundam part three but until then i'm michael doke and i'm peter eby and be sure to revisit us in two weeks uh this next block is pretty good honestly hey there i just wanted to say thanks for listening and i hope you're staying safe and socially distant and wearing a mask in public even if you're in one of those places that has said you don't need to do that anymore, because you kind of do, probably. Uh, if you have the means, please remember to provide for others in your community by donating to a local food bank uh, or homeless shelter or towards a social cause like Black Lives Matter. Anyhow, you can follow us at facebook.com slash hbpod and twitter at hbpod, where we post all of our episodes as well as additional content related to what we've been watching. This is also a great way to get in contact with us if you're so inclined. Of course, subscribing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts uh, is also a great way to stay up to date. And while you're there, please consider leaving us a review. It helps us find new listeners, and we like to know what people think of the show. So we'll be back in two weeks for Turn A Gundam Part 3. But until then, stay safe. So this is a podcast, and in this show, we review every episode of Garfield and Friends. Oh, I can't wait to do that one. Yeah. Dude, every, yeah. every, every, every <laughs> fucking home acres, whatever the fuck that yeah, show is called. Just, yeah, uh, U.S. Acres. Yeah. We just call it the Garf House. <laughs> the, gar- the Garf, how about Garf Bag? i'm down like i'm really proud of that (laughs) and just like the image is just like a a paper sack with garfield stripes on it and disgusting it's like disgustingly wet paper sack at the bottom you know well it's like tipped over there's like hairballs rolling out you know well, no, it's like barf bag. No, I know that, but okay. hairballs are kind of barf. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> it's, it's like cat barf. Yeah, yeah. This week we're talking about Ro- Rover Dangerfield, the cartoon where Rodney mm-hmm. Dangerfield voices of dog. <laughs> you yeah. know, Rodney Dangerfield, famously kid-friendly comedian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he deserves to have his own cartoon after he was completely ripped off by Hanna Barbera. <laughs> Did they have one of those? Was it the shark? I mean, yeah, Jabberjaw is very Rod is Rodney Dangerfield like, plus Curly from the Three Stooges, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's always got no respect, no yeah, respect at all. 
Yeah, that asshole. <laughs> they, they, they should have given him a cartoon. <laughs> That's the payment you get like, from Hanna Barbera. Yeah. You get your own cartoon instead yeah. of uh, then, instead yeah, of we, money. We don't have any money. Uh, <laughs> do you want a cartoon? <laughs> Fucking sure. <laughs> Sorry, Rodney. All our money's going on the screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, let's start. <laughs>